Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. In this shear, we will discuss how Rashi deals with unusual spellings of words in the Torah, and also how Rashi deals with contradictions between two Midrashim. In both cases, the answer essentially is what we have said many times, is that Rashi is primarily and actually exclusively concerned with what he calls Pshutai Shal Mikra, the simple meaning of a verse in the Torah, and that is his guiding light that leads him to his conclusions. First, let us deal with a question of spelling. In Parshish Bechuk Esai, we know there is a long section known as the Teichacha, in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells the Pal Yisrael that if you keep my laws and study Torah, all kinds of good things will happen to you, and if, Chas Shalom not, there is a whole long list of terrible things that will befall the Jewish nation. Finally, including perhaps the biggest one of all, that we will be exiled from the land of Israel, we will have to go into Gullus. And near the end of this section, Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, V'zacharti esbrisi Yaakov, but in the end, I will remember my covenant with Yaakov, Va'af esbrisi Yitzchok, and also my covenant with Yitzchok, Va'af esbrisi Avraham Eskor, and also my covenant with Avraham I will remember, V'ya'oretz Eskor, and the land I will remember. Let's take a look first at two pieces of Rashi on this Pesach. The first one, V'zacharti esbrisi Yaakov. Now Rashi notes here that the name Yaakov is written in this Pesach, Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Vav, Beis. Normally, the word Yaakov, the name Yaakov is written Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Beis. Above the Kuf is a dot, which we call a Choylem, and that stands for that O sound. We also know that in Lashon Kodesh, in Hebrew, that sound can also sometimes be represented by a Vav with a dot over it. In general, when it is written with a Vav, it's called Ksiv Malay. It's called a full or complete spelling. When it is written without the Vav, so it's called Ksiv Chaser, a, a spelling that is lacking, or as the academics like to call it, defective spelling. That name always graded upon my ears. There's nothing defective about it. There's nothing wrong about it. That's what the academics like to call it. Now, in 99% of the places where the Torah mentions the name Yaakov, it's written Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Base. There's no Vav. Over, there's no Vav. Over here it says Ya'akov. There is a Vav. So Rashi comments. In five places in Tanakh, the name Yaakov is written Mole with that extra Vav. Uh, those who wish can go to the, the Mizrahi and the Gurariye, they will tell you where the five Psukim are. 
Now the name of Eliyahu Hanavi, Chaser Bechamisha That name is missing a letter in five places. The name Eliyahu in five places is written without the Vav at the end of the word. It's written Eliyah. So Rashi here draws a connection. Yaakov Natal Ois Mishmashil Eliyahu. Yaakov took a letter from the name of Eliyahu. He took that Vav at the name of Eliyahu, Eiravoin, and he took it as a pledge, as collateral. Now, when you lend somebody money, why do you take collateral? Because you want to ensure that this person will come back and pay you. So here, Yaakov took a letter from Eliyahu's name. He wanted to make sure that Eliyahu would come back. For what reason, says Rashi? He wanted to ensure that Eliyahu would come someday, someday soon, in Mirza Hashem, and he would herald, he would announce the redemption of Yaakov's children, of the Klal Yisrael. So that's why here in this Pesach, the name Yaakov is written with an extra Vav, because it is Yaakov who took a letter from the name of Eliyahu as a pledge to ensure that eventually Geula will come. Let's continue. The next Rashi. The Zacharthi Esbrisi Yaakov, I will remember the covenant of Yaakov. Rashi asks a question. Loma Nimru Nimnu Oves Achiranis. Why are the Oves listed here in reverse order? It says here Yaakov, Yitzhak, Avram. Of course, we know the, the, the chronological order of the Oves, the historical order of the Oves is Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. So Rashi raises this question. Answers Rashi, Loimar, this is to say, Kedai hu Yaakov hakotan, Yaakov, the smallest of the Ovais, is Kedai. He is worthy, Lechach, for this. He is worthy that Hashem should eventually remember him and redeem the Klal Yisrael. Ve'im enoi Kedai, and if he's not, if he is not worthy of that, Hare Yitzhak imoi, but Yitzhak is with him. So together with Yitzhak, for surely the Geulah will come. And if he is not worthy, but Avraham is with him, and he is certainly worthy, etc. These are the two Rashis that we are going to focus on. First of all, let us state from the beginning that this Rashi about Yaakov taking a letter from the name of Eliyahu as a pledge so that Eliyahu should come someday and announce that we are going to be redeemed, this is obviously not a simple materialistic event that Rashi is describing. I cannot tell you, and I don't think anybody can tell you, exactly when this took place, by what process was it done. Was it done with a scissors, an eraser? I don't think with either. We are talking here about spiritual concepts. And as such, we have to have the proper humility when we approach such statements by Rashi. The question I would like to raise, however, is that Mephoshim, the later commentaries, the later commentators who analyze Rashi, they tell us that Rashi does not usually bother to explain what we call Ksiv Chaser V'yatir. He does not usually bother to explain places where the Torah left out a Vav, or sometimes the letter Yud can be left out of a word, 
And it, Rashi does not usually bother to explain to us why in some places the Torah inserts an extra vav or a yud. Uh, this is uh, stated by the Maskil the Dovin in his uh, in his introduction to his uh, sefer, and this is uh, expounded upon by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. We'll discuss that more in a moment. What's the reason? The reason, perhaps, is similar to what the Ibn Ezra explains. The Ibn Ezra, in his uh, his Hakdama, in his introduction to the to his commentary on the Torah, says that he will not bother to explain um, what he calls the Tame Hamasiris, various footnotes to the Torah that were placed there by the Bali Hamasiris, and he will not explain why one word is Malaya, one word is written in the full spelling, and one word is written in the Chaseira, why a different word is written in the so-called defective spelling. Ibn Ezra says, I'm not going to talk about that. He says, all of the reasons for those things, he says, are Kedera Chadrash. They are homiletical. It doesn't mean they're not true, but they're, they're not the simple meaning of the Pasuk. And Ibn Ezra says, Ki HaKoysev, someone who's writing in Hebrew, Pam Yechtev HaMila Malaya Mivuara, sometimes he will write the word with a full, clearly explicit spelling. He will spell out every, uh, every letter and every vowel. He will spell out as much as possible. Ufam yechaser oisnelam, and sometimes a letter whose pronunciation is somewhat hidden, it was unaccented, the writer will leave it out. Lechais derech kitsara. In order to hold on to, in order to follow a short way of expressing himself. And it would seem that this could certainly be Rashi's reason also. In fact, there is a Rashi in Parshas Boy who says, uh, this is in uh, Parshas Boy, Perak Yud, Pasuk Aleph, Rashi says there, Yesh lanu Aleph. He says there are many words that are missing an Aleph, meaning they really should have an Aleph. An Aleph is really part of the root of the word. But the Aleph is not written. Because the pronunciation of the Aleph is not so recognizable. It's not so uh, sensed by the ear. So therefore, says Rashi, Therefore the Pasuk is not particular about leaving it out, meaning sometimes the Torah leaves out that Aleph. And Rashi gives an example from Yeshaya, Perik Yud Gimel, Pasuk Chof. The Pasuk there says, V'lo yahel shom Aravi. No Arab or no uh, desert dweller will pitch his tent there. Now the word yahel is spelled there yud Hey lamed but Rashi understands that it's really like the word yahel, that it should really be yud Aleph Hey Lamed. Aleph Hey Lamed means to pitch a tent. That's the word for tent in Hebrew. So Velo Yahel Shom Aravi. No Arab will pitch his tent. It's the word Yahel is missing the Aleph. And Rashi says, what's the reason? Because you don't really hear that Aleph that much anyway, even if you'd put it there. So sometimes it's written without. Our question on this Rashi, therefore, is 
that if Rashi does not usually bother to explain why a word is written in the full or the defective spelling, why does Rashi bother over here to note that the word Yaakov is written with an extra vav, and why does he therefore uh, tell us this very interesting uh, point that uh, Yaakov took a vav from Eliyahu's name? Why does Rashi, so to speak, break his own rule in this case? And to be, I think that in order to begin to come to an answer, we have to go to the writings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal. He was a great expert in Rashi. And there is a sefer known as Klolei Rashi, in which the author went through the Rebbe's sichais, the Rebbe's discussions of Rashi, and he came up with over 200 klolem, over 200 general principles that the Rebbe felt that guided Rashi in his, the writing of his commentary. If we look in this sefer Klolei Rashi, in Perak Yud Dalit, it discusses there that Rashi does generally not comment on Ksiv Mole and Ksiv Chaser, as we said before, unless there is some connection between the Ksiv Mole and the Ksiv Chaser and the simple meaning of the Pasik, the Pshutai Shilmikra. In Klal number four, Let's go to Klal number 5. The Rebbe explains, or it is explained the name of the Rebbe, that Rashi does sometimes discuss Chaser and Mole, the full and defective spelling, if there is some kasha, some difficulty in the Pasuk, and by means of investigating why a word in that Pasuk was written either fully or defectively, if by means of that investigation we can come to an answer on the difficulty in the Pasuk itself, then Rashi will discuss it. And then comes an even bigger Chiddush. The Rebbe says that Chaser and Yatir are not merely uh, coincidental. What we were explaining before is to a certain extent, uh, well, it's coincidental. Uh, sometimes a writer will put in an extra yod or an extra vav, and sometimes that same writer will leave out an extra vav and an extra yod. The Rebbe, however, explained that when a word is written chaser, that indicates some chisorin. There is some, something lacking in the word or concept that is being discussed. We'll give an example soon. And if a word is written yatir, if it is written with an extra vav or yud, that means there is some yisrain, there is some something extra or some exaltation of the word or the concept that's being expressed. So where there's a ksiv chaser, that indicates some limitation of what's being discussed. Where there is a ksiv yatir, that indicates some exaltation of the item, of the topic that's being discussed. An example of this principle we can find in Arashi in Parshas Noyach. In Parshas Noyach, Perik Tes, 
Pasuk Yud base. The Torah is discussing the Keshes, that after the Mabul and after the whole thing was over, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Noyach that there are going to be times that I might be tempted to bring another Mabul because of the misbehavior that human beings might be engaged in. But I'm going to put the rainbow as a sign, and the sign, this sign will remind me of my promise that I will never bring another Mabul such as the one that I brought that destroyed the world in the days of Noyach. In Pasuk Yud Beis, we read, And Hashem said, This is the sign of the covenant, This is the sign of the covenant that exists between me and you, and between all the living souls that are with you, for the generations of eternity. Now the word Lidoirois normally would be spelled Doirois would be Dalit Vov Resh Vov Sov. Here uh, perhaps you could you could leave out the, the first Vov and maybe that would not uh, be considered Ksiv Chaser, but certainly the second Vov in the word in the ending of the word ois, which is the ending for feminine plural, is always spelled vav tav, and here it's spelled vav no vav. It's spelled lid doi rois lamid dalit resh tav. Rashi comments. Lid doi rois lam says Rashi nichtov chaser. It is written in this uh, lacking defective spelling. Sheyesh doi rois shalehutzrichul ois because there are. There will be some generations that will not need this sign. Because they were complete tzaddikim. I think it means that not that all the people in that generation were complete tzaddikim, that's highly unlikely, but that there were tzaddikim gemurim, there were absolute tzaddikim who lived in those generations. Kamoi, like, like the generation of Chizkiyahu, the king of Yehuda, and the generation of Rabbi Shimon Men Yochai. In other words, these Sadiqim were so great that during their generation, Hashem did not even have what we call a Havamina. He didn't even think that perhaps it was worthy to destroy the world. The, these Sadiqim had such a great merit that Hashem didn't even think about it. It didn't even uh, come into his mind that perhaps he should destroy the world, and therefore there was no need for the rainbow. So what is Rashi saying? You see here that the doirais is spelled missing above, and it indicates that not all generations actually require the sign of the rainbow. There is a diminution, there is a, a, uh, a limitation to the word being expressed with the so-called defective spelling. That's the uh, fundamental principle that is uh, taught to us by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechrona Devracha. Now, why does Rashi hear in our Pasuk, Zacharti is Brisi, why does Rashi deal with the, pus, with the spelling of the word Yaakov that is written with an extra vav. 
So I think we can say, because Rashi had a problem. The simple meaning of the Pasuk, as Rashi himself points out, is that Hashem will remember his covenant with Yaakov, and if that's not enough, if Yaakov is not great enough, he will remember the covenant with Yitzchak, and if that's not good enough, then Hashem will remember the covenant with Avram. And in fact, Rashi referred to Yaakov as Yaakov HaKaton, Yaakov the small one. I don't think that it means merely that he was the, the youngest of the three Avais. It seems to mean that he was the smallest in his merit. We'll talk about that later, but that seems to be what Rashi says. So, simple meaning of the Pasuk, it seems to be a somewhat, uh, I won't say derogatory, but it is not a Pusik which is singing the praises of Yaakov. It seems to be noting uh, somewhat of a lesser stature of Yaakov. That's the simple meaning of the Pusik. But the Ksiv Male, the word Yaakov is in unusually, almost uniquely, written with an extra vav. And as the Rebbe explained, when a word is written with an extra letter, that indicates that there's something extra great about the person or the, or the thing that is being discussed. So the Ksiv Male indicates, seems to be indicating something great about Yaakov. So here there's a contradiction, seemingly a contradiction, between Pshutai Shal Mikra and the way that this word Yaakov is spelled. And because it's a contradiction to the Pshuta Shalmikra, Rashi felt that it was necessary to comment on it. And what is Rashi's answer? His answer is something uh, very profound, which I am going to admit I don't know exactly how to explain it. But his answer is that although Yaakov, in fact, might be somewhat less in stature than Yitzhak and Avraham, but... When it comes to Besairus HaGeula, when it comes to who has the power to, so to speak, force Eliyahu to come and announce to us the final redemption, that particular task can only be done by Yaakov. So on the one hand, the Pasuk is indicating a certain limitation of Yaakov. He is in some sense not as great as Yitzhak and Avraham. But on the other hand, he does have a very special, unique role that even Avram and Yitzhak don't have. Exactly why this is, I'm going to give my listeners some homework. Look very carefully in the Gurarye on this Rashi, and perhaps you will understand it better than I do. I think he's addressing this question. I'm not confident enough in what he says to deliver it. Let us now address how Rashi approaches a contradiction between two Midrashim. We mentioned that in our Rashi, it refers to Yaakov as Yaakov Hakaton, Yaakov the small one. And the, the whole thrust of the Rashi is that uh, perhaps Yaakov is not worthy that the Geula should come in his merit, but Hashem will remember Yitzchak, and if that's not enough, he will remember Avram. So here Yaakov is called Hakotan. However, there is a Medrash, Midrash Rabbah, uh, Bracious, uh, Perak Ayan Vav, Simon Aleph, 
which refers to Yaakov as Habochor Sheba Ovais, the choicest of the Ovais, Ze Yaakov, that's Yaakov. Shenemar, as it says in a Pasuk in Tilim, Kuf Lamed Hey, Pasuk Dalit, Ki Yaakov Bocharloi Ko, because in Yaakov, Hashem chose. So based on this Pasuk, Ki Yaakov Bocharloi Ko, because Hashem chose Yaakov, the Medrash refers to Yaakov as the choicest, so to speak, as the best or the greatest of the Ovais. So this is a contradiction in Midrashim, and uh, the question is, what does Rashi do about this? Now here, he quotes a different Medrash, Yaakov HaKotan. Does this mean that he's simply ignoring the other Midrash? Or does it mean, uh, well, it really doesn't matter one way or the other. Uh, here he explains it this way, perhaps somewhere else he'll explain it a different way. That is a possibility that I would rather not entertain. It would appear as follows. The Midrash explains the verse in Tillim, Ki Yaakov Bechar Ko, that Yaakov was the choicest of the Ovais. It would appear that Rashi understood that that is Drush. That is a homiletical explanation. The simple shot is, Ki Yaakov Bechar Ko, it is not talking about the man Yaakov, the son of Yitzchok, the grandson of Avraham, but rather it is talking about the house of Yaakov, the Jewish nation. In fact, the Targum Antilim uses the words Debase Yaakov Bukhar, in the house of Yaakov, Hashem chose. And in fact, if we look at the Psukim, I think we will see that the context supports this interpretation. Let's go to Tilim, Kuf Lamed Hay. If I had to summarize the first few psukim of Tehillim Kuf Lamed Hay, I would say, I would use the three words that have been popularized by a certain religious figure here in the United States, praise the Lord. The chapter Kuf Lamed Hay begins, Hallelujah, praise Hashem, Hallelujah, Shem Hashem, praise the name of Hashem, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Avdi Hashem, Praise Him, servants of God. Those who stand in the house of Hashem, in the courtyards of the house of our God. Hallelujah. Praise Him. Because Hashem is good. And sing praises to His name because this is pleasant. or Perhaps because He is pleasant. And then... The Pasik gives two reasons why we should praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Pasik hey, Ki Yaakov v'char ko Yisrael l'segulasai Because Hashem chose Yaakov and He chose Yisrael to be His skula, to be His special, precious nation. That's one reason. Praise Hashem because Hashem chose Yaakov and Pasuk Hey, Kiani Yadati, Kigadol Hashem, because I know that Hashem is great, Vadonenu, Mikololokim, and our Master is greater than all of the gods or of all of the mighty people. Now, what is the meaning of Kiyakev Bechar Loiko? Does it mean, as the Medrash says, 
that Hashem chose the person Yaakov, and he is the choicest, the greatest of the Ovois? Or does it mean, because Hashem chose Debes Yaakov, as the Targum renders it, Hashem chose the house of Jacob, the Jewish nation? I think if we follow the context of the rest of this chapter, we will see that it is the latter. If we go through the Pasuk, the Psukim, it mentions many great things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did for the Jewish nation. It mentions Makas Bukhirais, the plague of the firstborn in Mitzrayim. It mentions that in general, Hashem sent many signs and wonders in Mitzrayim against Paroi and his servants. And it says that Hashem smote many great nations and killed many great kings. He, he smote Sichain, the king of the Amori, and Oig, the king of the Boshon, and all of the kingdoms of Canaan, and he gave their land to us as an inheritance. So it mentions many great things that Hashem did for the Jewish nation. It does not mention anything that Hashem did particularly for the person named Yaakov. So it would seem that when the Pesach says, praise Hashem because Hashem chose Yaakov, it doesn't mean specifically that Hashem chose the person Yaakov as being the greatest of the Ovois. That's a drush, that's a homiletical interpretation. But rather the simple meaning of the Pesach is, you, Klal Yisrael, praise Hashem because Hashem chose you. Hashem chose the house of Yaakov, the, the family of Yaakov, the whole Jewish nation, and he did such special, wondrous, and beneficial things for us that therefore we should praise Hashem. So, first of all, Rashi, I think, understood that the Medrash that interprets the Pasuk and Tilam as meaning that Yaakov is the choicest, the best of the Ovois, this is actually a medrash in Torah's Kohanim, but that is, uh, no, not, not in Torah's Kohanim, but the, the medrash in Midrash Rabbah that understands the Pasuk and Tilam that Yaakov is the choicest of the three Ovais, that is Drush, and of course Drush is very important, but is not the subject of Rashi's commentary on the Torah. On the other hand, the medrash in Torah's Kohanim which is the source of Rashi's statement in the Chumash, that Yaakov HaKotan, Yaakov the smallest of the Ovais, that Rashi understood to be Pshat. And why is that Pshat? Because, as Rashi said, Lama Nimnu Acheranis. Why are the three Ovais listed here in reverse order? It, so it must be, because it's starting with Yaakov, who is, so to speak, least worthy, but if he's not worthy enough, then there's Yitzchok, and if that's not enough, then there is Avraham. So that is, seems to be clearly the thrust of the simple meaning of the Pasuk in Parshish Bechuk Esai. The other Medrash that refers to Yaakov as Bochr number one, Rashi understood that's Drush, that's homiletical, and number two, it's disagreeing with the Torah's Kohanim, and the halacha, so to speak, is like the Torah's Kohanim. Of course, in matters of Midrash, there's no such thing as halacha. We're not talking about a matter of law over here, that we have to decide one way or another how to put things into practice. But Rashi 
in writing his commentary in the Chumash, did have to come to certain conclusions. Where there were contradictions in Midrash, he did have to choose one over the other. And in this case, he chose the Midrash in Teres Kahanim over the Midrashic interpretation in the Pasuk in Tehillim. We see in summary how careful Rashi was with every little facet of the Torah, how careful he was about even how a word is spelled, and that he had certain principles which guided him, and there were also certain exceptions to those principles, and we see how carefully he weighed the different Midrashim, which are sometimes contradictory, and we see that, as always, it's Pshutei Shal Mikra. It is this principle of the simple meaning of a Pasuk, that is the driving force that helps Rashi decide which way to go in writing his commentary. Thank you for listening to Directions in Rashi with Yochanan Joseph, author of the book Directions in Rashi, available from Feldheim Publications. Production aspects were carried out by Minagain Music. Visit them online by going to facebook.com slash minagainbemore.